Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by Acura of Memphis. Power is everything. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 9.02 the time. Final hour for us today here on this Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024 edition of Sports 56 Mornings. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd with you. From the Family Leisure Studios, Family Leisure, their floor model sale continues. 2120 Whitten Road, just north of I-40. Currently partly cloudy, 36. We're looking at a high today of 47 degrees. Tonight, a few clouds with a low of 31 degrees. Time to get back to some Grizzlies talk with DeMichael Cole. Two watches, that's 12. Come through and slam on you. I'm in the air. It's time to talk some Grizzlies basketball. Joining Greg and Eli is DeMichael Cole, Grizzlies beat writer for the commercial appeal. Here's DeMichael with Greg and Eli. We talk Grizzlies each and every week with DeMichael Cole from the commercial appeal. The Grizzlies beat writer for the CA. You can follow him on Twitter at DeMichael C. Good morning, DeMichael. Good morning, guys. How we doing? Doing great. I, I saw you last night on the floor before the game, and I'm sure you had uh, amazement in your eyes like I did just watching Victor Wembenyama warm up and just realizing how freaking big that guy is and how athletic he is for 7'5". I mean, he was out there doing ball stuff in, in his, his warm-up. And I, I think, you know, he, he, someone said it to me, like, we all knew he was tall, but then when you see it up close now, he, like, is dwarfed, like, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Big Mac Biombo. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a sight to see for sure. Yeah, I, I said earlier, if you told me, if I didn't know anything, and somebody told me he was eight feet tall, I would believe it. Like, he just, yeah. looked, it doesn't, it's weird how tall he looks next to those guys. It, it's different. Like, I, I, I agree. It, it, it's weird. It, and he, like, he's still, you know, you can you can kind of tell he's going to fill out. Like, and, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Oh, oh, my goodness. But he doesn't look like when Sean Bradley started in the NBA. I know he got bigger toward the end, but Manute Bowl, they just, like, they look freaky. They look like sideshows. But yeah. this guy doesn't – he doesn't look that way. While he, he is skinny, and I think you're right, he's going to fill out. He's going to get you know, a little bit bigger as far as weight is concerned. I mean, the guy runs the court. He's, the way he can handle the ball, it's it's freakish in that in, a, in that way, not in, in the, like, sideshow way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Biz said it well. He was like uh, Biz Biombo. He basically said that, um, you know, this is the way the league is going now, and, and you get all these – you know, we always talk about how certain guys have their impacts on the game and whatnot. You know, Magic Johnson, you know, uh, kind of created a pathway for these six, seven, six, eight point guards. You mm-hmm. know, the pink ways, LeBron James, all this, all that, and you know, Curry, of course, with the shooting. Uh, the one that doesn't get talked about as much is Kevin Durant, kind of uh, being this six eleven guy mm-hmm. with with guard skills, right? You know? And, and now we see, you know, Chet Holgram and, and you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. even to, a, you know, a certain degree. Uh, and Victor Wimbiyama, I mean, 7 5, like, 7 seven four seven five. once upon a time, like, you you wouldn't even be allowed to do half the stuff uh, that he has the freedom to do. But, uh, Good point. I, I mean, it, it's, he, he's different. 
Do you think the first time Ja tried to go at him and got his shot blocked, did that kind of scare Ja off for a while? Because he then took a lot of threes after that. Ja, ja was definitely uh, a little bit like surprised that, that he got because <laughs> Ja rolled it. Like he, you know, so that was kind of his way of putting uh, some finesse on it and kind of protecting it from being blocked. So uh, the fact that Wimby got that one definitely, you know, it surprised him a little bit. So uh, he he was surprised, and, and and you're right, yeah, he didn't really, you know, test him much after that. He went into the paint a few times and would pass it out and things like that. But uh, you you always knew like he, he's just waiting on the right angle, the right time, mm-hmm. and you knew Jaw of all people like he, he was gonna go at him. All right, so we talked about that to open the show today. The dunk, the hesitation shot in the lane where he switched hands and hit the floater over Wembenyama and the great no-look pass to Santi Aldama for the reverse jam. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, the dunk was the best one, although Wembenyama was kind of on the side and then was really late to react. Of those three, which one do you believe was the best play by Ja last night? Man. Uh, it's, let's see, the layup. It's the layup to me uh, where he hangs in the air. That's what mm-hmm. we said. Because here's the thing, like, with the dunk, um, it, it, it was it's, it's very impressive. But Jock kind of like downplayed it himself, and, and and you know we've seen Jock's posters like where he's like, uh, you know, just more authoritative on the dunks. He said, "Oh, this is like a high school rim grazer," and he went up with two hands on this one specifically because I think you know he knew there was going to be some contact. Like if he that same dunk, if he does that same dunk and goes up with one hand, I don't I don't know if he finishes it because uh you know when Viama hit him on the elbow and whatnot. So, uh, to, but to jump in the air, and I mean, the hang time, he probably got that off right before his feet hit the ground. And mm-hmm. Jock, Jock is in the air a long time. Like, when we're on the spinning around, he has his right hand in the air, his left hand, he's just throwing his arms all over the place trying to get to the ball because he doesn't know where it is because, he, you know, he's not looking. Uh, I think that was uh, probably, the like, from a difficulty perspective, that's the one that takes the cake. Now, if he would have finished the dunk that he attempted against Sacramento the other night, that would have been like the all timer, I think. Yeah, yeah, the one on uh, was it the bonus? <laughs> he he cocked that yeah. thing so far back. I, I was <laughs> I, I I couldn't believe he even attempted it. It's like the one he did on Jalen Smith uh, of the of the Pacers, where he, he cocked it all the way. Like those are the best ones, right? Like I think he had two on Yakupertel, and one was. One that he cocked kind of back, and the other one was he kind of uh, just glided in the air. So, um, yeah, he he has a, he has a few of them. But that I mean, add that one up there with the Kevin Love and the and the Anthony Davis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, up there with those miss miss uh, posters. How disappointed were you in their performance on Sunday? I, I think it was it was the same. You know, uh, it, I mean, it was different actually. A sign for me that. You know, this team has looked competitive. Even, you know, uh, when they were playing the Clippers, uh, you know, the Denver game, you're playing without Ja. But you but you, you just come to a realization that, you know, if the Grizzlies want to be in that play-in that we keep talking about, or if they want to be in a playoff, uh, you're going to have to win two out of three games. And you just do simple math. Simple math will tell you that two out of three of the Western Conference teams are elite, like every time, like like not just good. I mean, 
I was just talking about talking to someone with it earlier. Like if you you go through the ten teams right now that are in uh, the Western Conference play-in, whatever: uh, Timberwolves, Thunder, Nuggets, Clippers, Kings, Pelicans, Mavs, Suns, Rockets, Lakers. Uh, you you might take Rockets out because you know you feel like at some point they're gonna fall off a little bit. But behind it, you got the Warriors who probably mm-hmm. aren't in. You got the Jazz who I think have beaten the Grizzlies twice. Um, these are the teams that Memphis has to jump. And the point is, when you play the Kings, when you play the Nuggets, when you play, sure they're the three, four, five seeds right now. But you're gonna have to you're gonna have to win some of those games. If you if you just go through the rest of the season, and say, oh, well, no sweat. We'll just beat the Spurs, Blazers, Jazz, Warriors, and one of those uh, teams in the top ten. That's not going to be enough. It, it, it's not. So that's more of where the disappointment comes in. I think, you know, it was the first game where they had all those guys back, and uh, you, you're playing against, you know, uh, one of the best teams in the league in the Kings. So it's tough probably from that perspective as guys are really feeling out. You saw Taylor just was throwing a bunch of guys on the court, trying to get a feel for who who plays well, with who's going to mesh well. Saw Derrick Rose in that uh, situation get back in the rotation. But the disappointment, I think, comes from the standpoint, not not execution from that game, it's more the big picture. Because that that game, honestly, for me, it was the first time where it was like, okay, uh, now I'm starting to think it's unlikely that they get to this play-in spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you, you lost three in a row in Nuggets. But now... Kings and, and next up, guess what? You get the Raptors, but then you got the Lakers, Suns, and Mavericks. Yeah. And those those are your 10, 10, 7, and eight seeds. And me and uh, Drew Hill were having a conversation yesterday about which of those three game slates was was tougher. And this is the seven, eight, and ten seeds that's coming up. But so that's that because I, I brought the like you have to beat the Raptors like this at home like that's a one hundred percent deal you have to beat that. But the next seven games you mentioned those three road games with Lakers, Phoenix, and Dallas, and then you've got Clippers, Knicks, Golden State, Minnesota. Jeez, like you can't afford to go like two and five in that stretch. You yeah. you've got to figure out a way to be at least above five hundred, and it's hard to you start looking like who are the teams you're going to beat in that mix. You got to go at least four and three. I would say I mean, yeah. three and. Because what three and four is just going to keep you where you are. Yeah, and exactly. I, like they they gotta, you know. And, and again, the teams that you're playing are the teams that are directly ahead of you. You know, we just talked about the Mavs, Suns, and Mavs. I mean, the Mavs, Suns, and the Lakers being the seven, eight, and ten. So you you can kind of get closer to them. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's 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 going to be tough, and it's it's crazy because yeah, I mean, I know we keep highlighting, you know, like oh, if they can get to forty one wins and whatnot. Uh, they'll be in the mix, and I think that's perfect right now. Because you look at the Lakers, uh, seventeen and seventeen. You look at the the Rockets, sixteen and fifteen, as the nine and tens right now. So that does seem like that's going to be about the pace. Like forty one wins, the, the Warriors are sixteen and seventeen. Well, if you but, if you win two out of three, like you said, I mean, and it's yeah. an odd number because it's forty nine. So I, I'm basing this on 48, but 32 win, that would be 32 more wins if you want two out of every three. 32 plus 11, that's 43. 43 will probably get you in the plan. Yeah, it, it, yeah, definitely. And, and that that's got to be the goal. Like you know, they're they're pretty much on that pace. You know, right now if they win today, they're definitely on that pace. Uh, so uh, they just got to they got to beat some of those teams. You know, uh, you, when, when you play. You know, the Clippers and, and the Lakers and, you know, the Timberwolves and whatnot. Uh, it has to be like, you know, past season. Like when they were a 50-plus win team, 
Uh, they play these teams three or four times, and, you know, they split them or they get two out of three. You know, you can't be satisfied, oh, we'll get one of the three games because that's not gonna that's not going to be enough this season. It would have also, I said earlier, it would have been nice last night if they could have kind of pulled away and maybe rested some guys a little bit since it's oh, going to be yeah. three and four nights. Ja, at the end of the first half, did he just bang knees? What did, what happened there? Did he talk about that at all after the game? Yeah, uh, seems like he's going to be uh, fine overall. I know he, he, after the game in the locker room, he was icing his knees a little bit, uh, had them kind of like propped up in the air because he, uh, he had to keep them bended. Uh, so I think that was... Uh, you know, like something that the training staff wanted him to do. So, uh, as I said, you know, uh, during the game, like he, to me, he he still was was walking a little gingerly. You know, I know some people say, oh, he came back in that second half and definitely looked like Ja. But as he was walking into timeout, walking after the game, you could tell, you know, uh, that something had happened. But but yeah, uh, it was hard to tell from my angle. I know Taylor Jenkins said something similar to like yeah, him banging it on the court. And whatnot. It sounds like you know he, he's going to be fine, but uh, it'll be interesting to see you know what they list him as today, or if he's not on the injury report or whatnot, because he definitely uh, spent some extra time uh, icing it yesterday after the game. All right, DeMichael, do you think they're going to do something as far as uh, a center or any kind of move that could be made? Obviously, Toronto and the New York Knicks had a big trade over the weekend, and looks like there may be some other guys on this Toronto roster that are available. Do you think the Grizzlies pull off any type of move? Uh, I think so, and and I think it's I think center is the position that's going to get addressed. But here's the other angle that why well, I think they're going to make a move. They have too many guys right now, and that's just as important as the center position because you got to think about it. When Vince Williams gets to 50 games, then what happens? You're not you're not just going to let him, you know, go right. Right. You send you send him down to the hustle. And and you know we know how how that would look. Uh, he's gonna need a roster. Like it's it's coming. So uh, I think you kind of you know get ahead of that, and that's where you you, you, get, you we could see a trade, you know, uh, structured around getting a center, but also creating a roster spot uh, for Vince Williams. I think that's the way it'll play out. Uh, so the, what I'm basically getting to is you know if the Grizzlies are very competitive, if they you know they get through this. This tough stretch in January, and like we said, they win. They're winning two out of three, and the pace that they're on, they're getting inching closer to five hundred. Then, okay, yeah, go get that center and address that position. But if they're not, uh, you know, if they're still losing games against the top Western Conference teams, or whatnot, and they're still playing at a similar win percentage to now, then you realize, okay, probably not going to make the play in. But you still have to make a roster move. You still have to make some type of trade to get Vince Williams on the roster. Yeah, has he been active for every game this year? Yes, yes, every, every, so, every game. So February fourth is game number fifty. So barring an injury or something that keeps him inactive, that's they're 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 reaching the tipping point at, on February fourth with him, which is obviously right before the trade deadline. So you could make the move and clear a spot, and and then hopefully re, you know get him onto a regular deal at that point. But but yeah, I mean it's it's coming in a hurry where you're gonna have to make that move. But if you're also but if you're if you're also in the market, like you said, for to improve your stock at the center position, not knowing if Brandon Clark will actually come back this year or not. I, I hear the rumblings in the Mark Spears interview and all that. But if you're going to do that, 
then you can't wait. You guys, Eli just rattled off the, the schedule coming up. You 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 have to make a move now. It's not wait till the trade deadline. By that time, you're done. You're you're probably going to be out of it. So you need to make some move now, right? If you're going to make a move for a center. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's what they think, but um, I feel like it's tougher, you know, at this point. You know, uh, that's what I was, you know, we were talking about December trades. Like, they're, they're dime a dozen. They, they don't really happen often. And we saw, you know, we got to the end of December and that OG Ananobi, uh, you know, Emmanuel Quickly deal kind of goes through. But uh, trades this earlier just, it's because some teams are still thinking, hey, we can turn this thing around, kind of like the Grizzlies are thinking. And some teams, who are even good or trying to figure out, are we really this good? You know, maybe the Rockets, like they're, you know, yes, we're good right now. Are we, we going to sustain this space? And when you get to early February, you kind of have a decent idea, you know, uh, after you get through another month of January. So, I, I mean, I'm with you, Greg. I do think that from the Grizzlies' perspective, there's more urgency. But at the end of the day, uh, it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you got to find those perfect partners. Like, you know, I think – Chicago, the Bulls, right? That's a team that a lot of people look at. They're going to, you know, we hear Zach Levine's name being thrown around. Uh, Andre Drummond is on one of those cheap deals where they can try to get some value back for him uh, while he's playing, you know, uh, well, you know, in that, in that center spot uh, for Vucevic and whatever the case may be. But for all we know, right now, they're 15 and 20 and they're in the play in. They're, the they're in the 10th spot. They might say, yeah, we'll move Levine. But we want to get a couple pieces back in that deal and see if we can go from 10 and potentially jump up into that top six area. Like, I mean, it's just real early right now. I, I, I don't I don't see a lot of teams just throwing in the towel just yet. That's kind of what, you know, the scenario that they created uh, when they went from eight teams uh, to a 10-team play-in because now you have more teams, you know, uh, in a contending uh, area. The – with the fact that the centers aren't really giving you much at all, is there any yeah. chance they go to Jaron and Santi in the starting lineup? I don't think so at, at this point. Uh, the rebounding just hasn't been, you know, good enough. And we see, you know, with Santi, like yesterday, he played a lot. Game before that, he pretty much was out of rotation in the second half. Take the game before that, he played a lot. Game before that, he played nine minutes. So, um, I don't even think Santi's, you know, role is solidified enough for that to be the case. Uh, I, I think, again, Taylor Jenkins is really, like, figuring out what works with what, who works with who. We saw Santi close his last game, uh, and then we saw before that he wasn't closing games. So uh, I, I think it's an idea. I definitely thought about it, especially, you know, Santi has kind of looked like one of their better rebounders. I think he had 11 <laughs> yesterday. Uh, so maybe that's worth a shot. We know offensively he and Jaron have played really well together. But uh I do I do like it when they bring in, you know, John Morant kind of with some of the bench uh unit at the end of the first quarter going into the second quarter. And it's Ja being on the floor with Sponti and Luke Kennard, giving that spacing. I think that's something they should uh continue to uh work with. How serious is uh, the latest injury for Derrick Rose? Uh right now, uh just, I think they said they they took him out of game precautionary reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good sign. But uh, they're going to reevaluate it, and uh, I think we'll we'll know more today for sure. All right, he's DeMichael Cole, Grizzlies beat writer for the Commercial Appeal. You can follow him on Twitter at DeMichael C.
and talk uh, and listen to them rather every Wednesday right here on Sports 56 Mornings Talking Grizz. To Michael, thank you so much. Always appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Take care. You too. We appreciate the Crazy Coop, one of our terrific sponsors here on Sports 56 Mornings. You should appreciate it as well if you're only interested in, in great hot wings, maybe the best in the city. And why? Because of the seasonings. 27 different seasonings that they use on their chicken wings. Everything from mango habanero, the sweet taste of mango, followed by the heat or the sweet maple bourbon. The taste will remind you of chicken and waffles. That's just two of those 27 different seasonings that they use on their hot wings at the Crazy Coop. They're located at 7199 Highway 64 between Appling and Kirby Whitnets in Bartlett and the Crazy Coop Express at 1315 Ridgeway off Poplar. Delicious whole wings and party wings, boneless wings, and big juicy chicken tenders. They're open 11 a.m. until 9 p.m. seven days a week. Uh, check out their Crazy Packs and also ask them about their catering services. They will cater uh, any event you got coming up, so make sure you ask them about that. The Bartlett location has the full menu, which includes those delicious catfish sandwiches, half-pound burgers, all the great sides like the fried okra, the green tomatoes, the fried dill pickles. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook. You've tried the rest. Now try the best. It's the Crazy Coop, 7199 Highway 64 between Appling and Kirby Witten, and the Crazy Coop Express at 1315 Ridgeway off Poplar Avenue. You're tuned in to Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56, 98.5 FM. Be sure to follow us at Sports 56 WHBQ on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to watch live video of our shows, stay up to date with station events, and have chances to win prizes. Don't miss out on anything that's going on. Follow us at Sports 56 WHBQ. Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by Acura of Memphis. Witness the power. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everybody. 927 The Time. Yesterday, we had the news of the UFL. United Football League, the merger of the USFL and the XFL with, with the Memphis Showboat surviving. They will have a team. They will have a new head coach, John Filippo, And John Filippo will join us on the program tomorrow. The former offensive coordinator with the Browns, the Vikings, the Jaguars. He'll be on with us at 8.05, John Filippo. Also yesterday, they announced that there's a new general manager, Dennis Polian, the son of Bill Polian will take over for Dave Rosano. A lot of shuffling within the league. A lot of shuffling. Uh, we still don't have all the answers. Trying to get everybody in order of what who's going to be where with, obviously, the teams that uh, didn't survive. And DeFilippo was the head coach of the New Orleans Breakers, so he was uh, in need of a job. And so they he smoothly moves in there. They're still got, I think they're going to have their little dispersal draft here in the next few days from those players that were on those teams that did not survive. And then there'll be another draft after that of everybody else. And it's going to be a lot to, lot to get figured out. They, uh, I saw one thing that said the schedule, they expect to be out by the middle of the month or so. So they, I mean, we're, we're not that far away. You got to, got to get these things going. 
Got to get moving. And we still don't have any confirmation on whether or not they'll continue with that XFL model where all those teams will be located in Arlington, in this case, which was the story that Chris Vanini had, and just fly to their home stadium or away if they're playing away that week. That's something still that needs to be uh, announced uh, because that's uh, that's a big factor, I think, with having your teams in their cities all week long where they can get more invested in the community as opposed to just zipping in, zipping out. It's kind of like uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Remember the big guy? It was, um, who was the character? It played the played the linebacker, and the guy goes, I thought they just flew him in for the games. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> who was a good actor? Um, played him. Gosh, I can't remember. Anyway, um, that was a great line from that movie. So let me ask you this. If Michigan wins the national championship, is this bad for college football? Uh, in my opinion, it is, but most people don't seem to care that they blatantly cheated for most of the season. A team that has been known more for off the field than on the field, and they're a real good football team. You wouldn't be in the championship game if you were not. But with everything that's gone down, with Harbaugh, with the suspensions at the beginning and then at the end, with the cheating, everything, and they still could win it all, will it be a bad thing? And I'm asking you folks out there. Also, I know they're not going to throw an asterisk in there, but is it a tainted championship? How much of an advantage did they have? Some people believe they had a really huge advantage. When they played opponents, others felt that maybe it was minimized. It wasn't as much as people had thought it was or that they uh, believed had happened. Um, It was certainly something that gives you an advantage, but you still have to execute it. And then, of course, Harbaugh, who's not the warm and fuzzy coach that some people like, and who knows about his future, whether or not he's going to stick around after, maybe headed to the NFL after the championship game. I would think that most people, other than the Big Blue Nation, and of course Michigan's the winningest football program in the history of college football. So we're talking about blue blood, blue blood, blue blood. But I would think that everybody outside of being a Michigan fan is rooting for Washington. I would uh, I would hope so. I know I am. I was ready for Alabama. They couldn't get it done, so I hope Washington can. By the way, does the Big Ten claim the championship no matter what? Uh, Since there's no more Pac-12. They they have the ability to. Where would the Pac-12 hang the banner? <laughs> Apparently at Washington State or Oregon State. <laughs> it is just weird, man. The whole thing is weird. Since those two schools have control over the conference, they get to do whatever they want. But the thing for that, I mean, again, this is why they want to keep that conference together. The, I mean, the financial implications of this, having a team make a run possibly to a national championship is huge. And those two schools will net the rewards financially. Yeah, when they, when they came to that conclusion, even for this year, those schools that are leaving are not getting a piece of the pie? This all goes to Washington State and Oregon State. Well, no, I don't. I, I there will be because they're not leaving. I, I don't know how the bowl money is dispersed. Like basketball money is paid over years. 
I don't know for sure how this money is exactly dispersed um, when you're talking about the the playoff and the bowl games. I'm not that may all be done in this financial year, and so it may not actually be a benefit to them. I understand, and I absolutely agree that the schools remaining. Oregon State, Washington State, should have control over the name, the likeness, all that. I mean, what, what are you going to keep it with the other schools that are leaving? So that only makes sense. The question is, though, how how in the long run will it benefit you? There is no conference. Am I, am I crazy with this? I, I don't even understand how there could be a conference. The Mountain West, unless they turned around, the Mountain West, unless those schools were guaranteed that they're going to triple their money or double their money, whatever it is, to move into a conference that next year will not exist but will be resurrected, the Pac-12, the big name, the Pac-12, there's no movement from the Mountain West. And even if you reach out to try to resurrect the Pac-12 with teams from the American, the Sun Belt, Conference USA, there's no way that they would financially benefit those schools in a way that they would make money hand over fist. In fact, their expenditures would probably be almost as much as what they would bring in from a television contract. What networks would even want? It, remnants, I mean, re- crumbs from the Pac-12, with all due respect for to Washington State and Oregon State. I mean, it's not like they're horrible programs or anything like that they're not but it's it's the remnants of it and then what else you can add to it to continue to make it a power conference i i don't see how it can happen i think it's done it's over and it's just a strange thing that on their way out you have a school that could win the national championship and we talked about at the beginning of the year how we thought the pac-12 was possibly the best conference and they may prove it to everybody the other thing that's weird is there's George Klivakov under his under his leadership or lack thereof. You had the mutiny and all the schools leaving, and this guy is still like technically the commissioner of the Pac-12, uh, the Pac-12 that doesn't exist. Well, it does exist. Well, it does in in theory, but the two teams that are still remaining are playing. And for this, I mean, until well, July or whatever, it absolutely exists. Well, it, yeah, but starting next year, they're playing a Mountain West football schedule. And all the rest of the sports of those two schools are playing in the WCC. West Coast Conference. West Coast Conference, Mountain West Conference. Doesn't add up the Pac-12. But it's still, I mean, it's all, it's it's all again, financial stuff. Because there, there are still monies owed to the conference things like that that you're not just going to give up on that you're going to keep whatever you they've got two years that they can basically stay at two teams and try and collect as much money as they possibly can but where are they getting that money from ncaa tournament money is paid out over like a six-year stretch or something like that so you're saying that there's tv money there's other stuff there's money owed to the pac-12 conference from various things that those those two schools now get that money. But they be, have control. But there will be no Pac-12 games. There will be no no Pac. I don't know if Pac-12 Network still exists. Is that gonna Is that gonna survive? With you know, they, hey, tonight we got uh, Oregon State in action, and then on Friday Washington State. Next week our schedule is Oregon State and Washington State. We'll follow that up with Washington State and Oregon State after that. Then Oregon State and Washington State. I I, I don't I don't understand it. 
in the NCAA tournament, now again, it's twenty. It's the year twenty three twenty four. So even though the calendar has changed, it's still the same academic year. Does the schools going into well this year they're still part of the Pac twelve. So in in the NCAA tournament, that money would go to those schools. I, again, I don't know how they divvy it up, but there would still be a hunk that would go to. Washington State, Oregon State being a part of that conference. But after that, after baseball season, it's done. 2024 football, those schools are gone. Mm-hmm. They're playing in the Big Ten. They're playing in the Big but there 12. They're playing in the money ACC. owed to the Pac-12. F- from where? From the NCAA tournament payouts. Uh, and right. from no, TV money that. and other stuff. I'm I sure understand. there's going to be there's other money still going to be owed to the Pac-12. I would imagine there's a caveat in their, in their, in their uh, TV deals with the networks that if all your teams leave... The contract's null and void. I, I can't imagine there's any more going to be Again, any more television. A lot of payouts. this is legal wranglings, but you don't just say, well, "Okay, the conference ceases to exist." Well, it kind of does. But if the conference doesn't ever going to say that, the name you've got still two there. years. They have two years to be able to try and put an eight-team conference together. But I can't imagine that any legal document of a signed contract wouldn't be altered in the case of in, in the case of a network deal. When you tell the network that, yeah, you got to pay us the same amount of money, but we don't have any more teams. We have two. I, I, I don't. I don't get it. Maybe, maybe somehow that they'll get a nice financial bonus. They deserve it. Oregon State, and Washington State. But for the future, there's not going to be a conference. There's no way there's going to be a conference again. If there is, it will be a smaller conference that would be more a group of five. Not a Power Five conference. So there's also the thing, uh, and I, I don't know. I'm not certainly a lawyer, but like, there's what are these teams having to pay exit fees to the conference? If they're all paying exit fees. Well, that's Washington State, Oregon State. No, no. And again, they deserve that money. They are the last ones but that, on the, but on that's the Titanic. The you can't let the conf- You can't just say if you're Washington State, Oregon State, you don't go. Well, we're just going to join the Mountain West Conference, and the Pac-12 doesn't exist because you're just giving up a bunch of money. No, I'm saying it, it exists. And I know it's not theory if they're actually getting something uh, tangible, but it exists just for name only, paperwork only. Money-wise, yes, they will get that money, but there's not going to be... And and especially when you look at the the 12-team playoff, right? They haven't yet confirmed the change, right? From 6-6 to 7-5. I don't think it's officially been... But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Because there's no longer a Pac-12. That's why it's going to happen. You will still have the group of five representative, unless all of a sudden after two years they want to change it to 12 at-larges, which I guess they could. But you're going to have seven at-larges. You're going to have five, the top five conference champions ranked, which will be the four power conferences that are left, Pac-12 done, and then the other one, which the vibe right now, and it's so early in the game and anything can happen, but there's a nice vibe around Memphis that they are in a position next year, and we've talked about this, that they have a, 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 in a position next year to go into that season thinking that they could come out of it as that top group of five team. Now, they open up with a Florida State non-conference game, 
And we know what happened with Liberty this year when Liberty got the benefit of the doubt, but it was multiple losses for SMU. So it's understandable why Liberty got in. And I had no problem with Liberty getting in, but they got in, not playing a real tough schedule, and they got massacred. You could, I mean, as I said yesterday, and this wouldn't be, this isn't completely like crazy far-fetched. You could see, theoretically, based on where things are right now, how people look at it, what the possibilities are, it would not be insane to see Ole Miss play Memphis in a first-round playoff game. Right. I mean, it's it's it seems nuts, but technically possible. I mean, Ole Miss as the five seed, not crazy. And Memphis as the representative of the group of five. Certainly not crazy. That could be that could very well be your five twelve matchup in the first round of the playoffs next year. I'll be really interested to see when they get down to the nuts and bolts of picking the at large teams. How many of them will come from either the Big Ten or the SEC as opposed to the Big Twelve and the ACC? I'll be really curious about that. Or get based on this year if you go to next year's conferences it would have been what eight of the 12 i think right right from the big 10 and sec which is probably going to be it's probably gonna be in that ballpark i would say most years probably gonna get eight or nine teams between the two of them when you add oregon washington usc ucla to the big 10 and when you add texas and oklahoma to the big 12 and we've talked a lot about old miss going into next year they will be one of the favorites now in the conference, you still got to deal with Alabama. You still got to deal with Georgia. And then the addition, especially of Texas, we'll see what happens with Venables and Oklahoma, took a step backwards. LSU, certainly, but you got to replace Jaden Daniels. But that'll be, that'll be the conversation from the get-go. How many at-larges will come from the SEC? How many at-larges will come from the Big Ten? You know you'll get a conference champion from the ACC, whether it's Florida State or who knows with Clemson, whoever it is, and then one from the Big 12, and then that group of five. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun next year. But, again, I, I bring up the question of whether or not the Michigan Wolverines winning on Monday is it bad for college football in the sense of what happened to Michigan, their coach being suspended two different times, the cheating scandal. I think most people that are not affiliated with Michigan will be absolutely rooting their tails off for the Washington Huskies. All right, when we come back, a little bit more on the Grizzlies who are back in action tonight. They welcome an old friend back to town. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56, 98.5 FM. We are Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 WHBQ. Available on your radio dial at 560 AM and 98.5 FM as well as around the world online at sports56whbq.com. Take us with you everywhere by downloading the Sports 56 app. And at home, just say, Alexa, play Sports 56. Wherever you are, stay tuned in to Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by Acura of Memphis. Okay, you know, this card looks great wrapped around you, you know. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. 
Adam Rittenberg reporting that North Carolina and defensive coordinator Gene Chizik have agreed to part ways. So, the Raptors are in town tonight. Darko Ryakovich, the former Grizzlies assistant, is in his first year as the head coach of the Raptors. Mentioned Thaddeus Young, the Memphian, on that roster. That roster has changed over the last few days with the big trade with the New York Knicks. So, R.J. Barrett now and Lively are part of the Toronto team. But there continues to be a lot of rumblings about Pascal Siakam who I think is an extremely talented player. And he is available, according to a bunch of reports, which would take an awful lot to get him. But any teams come to mind when you think, I'm sure anybody can use a Pascal Siakam, but any teams that jump out at you, that you think have the assets and and, and would make a lot of sense for them, maybe to get over the hump? I I mean, I don't know what draft assets all these teams have, all the damn trades anybody does with pick swaps and stuff like that. I mean, it's your Siakam's is in the last year of a deal, so he's either going to be a rental or you got to know you could resign him, and it's going to take a ton of money right, um, to right. resign him. So, um, but I mean, teams generally. If they want him bad enough and think they can resign him, we'll we'll find a way to put something together. But I mean, certainly, like you know, the Phoenix is the world who have like no draft picks left um, that they have control over. You know, the Lakers. I don't know what the Lakers have as far as draft pick stuff, but but they also these teams get a third team or a fourth team involved. <laughs> like it's they they find ways to to make it work um, if they believe that one. Certainly can help them, but two, they have a chance to re-sign him if they can make that move. Does it make sense for any of these young teams that are playing really, really well to mortgage a little bit of their future to get a veteran player, whether it be a Pascal Siakam, a Zach Levine, who, by the way, is expected back in about a week. He's been battling the foot injury. A DeJounte Murray with Atlanta. I've seen his name pop up in trade rumors. I mean, for a, for a team like Oklahoma City or Houston, and Houston went out and got Fred Van Vliet, and they went and got Dylan. But these young teams, these talented teams that right now are doing incredibly well, but that you know, would they would they shake the boat a little bit and go and try to reel in somebody that big, having to give away a lot of their assets? I wouldn't expect a team like Oklahoma City to make a you know, really big move, although they have, you talk about draft capital, like they've got pretty much every draft pick. <laughs> like I don't know what their number is, but they've got first-round pick after first-round pick. So if they wanted to do something, they certainly have the capability of doing it just from a draft capital um, standpoint. If they, But I just... I don't because I would think they would be worried about the ability to re-sign Pascal Siakam, mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, with what they're going to end up, what they're going to be paying in the near future, um, you know, with I assume that they're looking at Shea Gilgis Alexander, um, you know, uh, Giddy and Holmgren, Holmgren along with Jalen Williams. Like I, I think they feel like they've got their nucleus of guys that they're going to be paying a whole bunch of money to. Um, in the future, and so most of their stuff, I think, would be tinkering on the edges of that. Yeah, they once had a great nucleus as well in Oklahoma City, and 
Not sure what happened to those guys. So the Lakers, uh, they said that the Lakers can, uh, after this season, they can have up to three first-round picks available. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's like this year, then like the next two. Because I know that, yeah, I could remember what they all gave up and pick swaps, all that stuff. But, I mean, it's, the, it's those common teams that do it every year are going to be the ones. But what else uh, are you willing to give up? I mean, what players are you willing to give up along with the picks to get Siakam? And I'm not even sure if the Lakers are interested, but I would imagine there's a lot of teams that are. So I don't know what else you would be willing to part with and what Toronto would be interested in, in, in bringing in when it's a Lakers team that's obviously veteran heavy with LeBron and, and Davis. You know, another team that's interesting is Dallas. Dallas always, you know, Dallas to me is solid. Because of Luca and even when Luca and Kyrie play together, it, it just doesn't seem as they don't seem as good as when just it's just Luca, to be honest with you. But we know Kyrie's talented, he's just wacky as hell. But Dallas seems to be maybe a team that could swing for the fences to try to bring in a big name, whether it be somebody like a Siakam or a Levine. And I don't know again if there's enough there that Toronto would be willing to to make a deal if they have enough stuff that they would want. I don't know. You know Phoenix went out in the offseason. They made their Bradley Beal trade, and they haven't reaped any benefits yet on that one because he's been hurt for the most part. But when healthy, you think Phoenix will make a run because Phoenix right now is kind of just hanging in there. I mean, they're 18 and 15. They are in the play-in right now. But that's a team we thought, wow, with that big three, even though they have hardly any bench and no assets, that Phoenix would would be right there at the top, and they haven't been because, frankly, of the injuries. I never thought, I said at the beginning, did not think it would work for them. Yeah, I mean, I was a little, I questioned it a little bit as well, but also you got to give things time, and it's tough when they're not on the court altogether. You know, I said the Kyrie thing wouldn't work out with Luka. I don't know if that will work out. We were all against the Rudy Gobert trade a couple of years ago against Minnesota. We thought it was a joke. Well, look at Minnesota right now at 24-8. and eight. It's worked. Sometimes we're impatient when moves are made to make a quick judgment on what's going on. But, yeah, I'm just trying to look and see maybe somebody in the East that would be interested in, in Siakam and have the assets to make a trade for Siakam. I mean, some of these teams at the top, like Boston's loaded. They got so much, but I, I, I don't know why you would even do anything right now at twenty six and seven. It may be more like a maybe an Orlando, an Orlando who is often rolling at nineteen and fourteen, maybe a little bit ahead of schedule with Paolo Bancaro and with the Wagners, and they got some young assets on that team, and you know maybe that's something that. Um, they'd be willing to look at but something to keep an eye on obviously as we talked about with the michael cole the grizzlies will eventually have to do something when vince williams reaches 50 games but right now can they find a center out there a service i saw kelly olenic's name pop up you know utah's not doing much right now is he a starter or has he come off the bench olenic for them i don't know what i think i don't know if he's starting right now or not I think I think they have him coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean that's that's a guy who I would jump on in a second, uh, a veteran player like that who is pretty good offensive player and not a bad defensive player. But if you're looking to increase your possibilities of getting into the play-in, you have to improve at that center position.
This hour of our program has been brought to you by Acura of Memphis. They're located on Ridgeway, right at the intersection of 385. You can find them online, acuraofmemphis.com. On the website, you can always find out about any special deals they've got going on from great financing offers to maybe lease options, things like that, plus all the information on all the different models of Acura that are available. You can also find the inventory of pre-owned vehicles, which includes those certified pre-owned Acuras and much, much more. You can find that all on the website. And of course, you can always find all that great information and get that great information and just always uh, great people to deal with when you go to see them in person at Acura Memphis. Then you can take that test drive, feel the Acura difference in one of those beautiful Acura automobiles. Good Ridgeway at 385 and online at AcuraOfMemphis.com. Again, tomorrow on the program, Dallin Hayden will join us from the Ohio State Buckeyes. We'll talk about his future. He was redshirted this year, but also get his thoughts on Michigan-Washington and Monday's national championship game. Obviously, having played Michigan, Dallin knows all about that and that big rivalry between the Wolverines and the Buckeyes. We'll get Dallin to talk about that again. 825 in studio tomorrow. John D. Filippo at 805. He's the former New Orleans Breakers head coach from last year and now the new Memphis Showboats head coach. He's a former offensive coordinator with the Browns, with the Vikings, with the Jaguars. He will join us on the show. And then at 9 to 10, we wrap up the AutoZone Liberty Bowl inside college football hour post-game. What a game it was. What a performance it was for Memphis. We'll be joined by Harold Grader, who... Is I'm not sure if he's back yet, but was at the Rose Bowl game. So we'll talk to him about that as well. That's all coming up on the show tomorrow. Of course, we'll kick things off starting bright and early at 7 a.m. That'll do it for us today on this Wednesday edition of Sports 56 Mornings. Thanks to Andy Borman, Tigers assistant coach, Jerry Palm from CBS Sports, and to Michael Cole from the Commercial Appeal. Wolo and Friends on Sports 56 is coming up next. For Eli Savoy and for Zach Boyd, I'm Greg Gaston. Enjoy the rest of your day, everyone.